opportunity to be here with you once again. And uh, I so often consider when uh, I'm trying to sing praise unto my Lord, uh, as my children know for many years that uh, when Sunday comes, it seems like I struggle with many things. And uh, I look at those words and I read them and just different words seem to come out of my mouth sometimes. Uh, what I'm saying in that statement is that my mind is consumed with the Almighty God that we are to serve in a world that seems to uh, not give the conscious thought that we should to the blessings of this life uh, and how blessed we truly are in this life beyond measure. So uh, it's a feeble excuse, but I hope that you are consumed this morning with the thoughts of your Savior. I hope that your mind has been in prayer for this meeting. It's a statement that I often make, but uh, God desires to hear the prayers of his children. So I do trust that we have come that way this morning in prayer and that he will continue on with us through the service, for I have undoubtedly felt his presence during the song service. And uh, I just urge you to continue to pray for us as we stand here before you. If you would, please bow with me. Scripture that we may 
convey these truths, O Lord, in a, a world that seems so indifferent to Thee. Lord God, we beg that Thou would bless us to set aside the trials and tribulations of this life, that we may better serve Thee this day, that our minds would be focused upon Thee and not the cares of this life and this world. But Father, so often we meet in a symbol and we understand that time is too brief as we gather in Thy presence. Father, we pray for those that have been mentioned here today that have lost loved ones that thy mighty hand would fill the voids in their life with an understanding of thy grace and thy mercy. And Father, how sweet that is in our times of struggles and tribulations. Dear God, we pray as well for the many sick that are upon our minds and the minds of this thy children this day. That would lift them up, O Lord, as only thou can. With an understanding of these yet temporal struggles, Father, for that that lies ahead for thy children and that which is eternal. Father, we rejoice to be here today. We are so thankful, Father, to have the knowledge that we have of thee, of the glory and grace of thy Son, Christ, who now sin into this low ground of sin and sorrow, that we might know salvation, Father. Father, we beg that we would more richly understand that we would be better stewards of thee in thy word. Father, we pray as well for our men and women, servicemen and women serving, O Lord, in a war that seems to be out of sight and most often out of our minds. Dear God, we beg that thou would bless them with the ability to keep a firm footing on who it is that establishes our way in this life. Through thy Son Christ, bind their families close, O Lord, they are separated with time and distance. We beg, Father, that this distance would not become a hindrance, but would draw their families closer. Father, as we enter into the furtherance of this service, we, we beg once again thy mighty guidance for us within thy word, and that as we survey the cross, let it not be afar off. But may we be found nigh unto thee this day, O Lord, drawing and seeking after the true riches of this life. For these things we ask in the name of our risen and returning Savior, Christ Jesus. Amen. And so often it is with me, uh, after a week of work, uh, I... I don't know how many of you are familiar with what I do, but I'm a jeweler, I'm a goldsmith, uh, I sit all day. And in that sitting all day, when I come home, I'm not fit for much to sit once again and try to study God's Word. But I struggle with that. I came in last night, and that's the, immediately the first thing I did. I, I began to sit down and to read. My time seems to be more in the morning. I've not been affected by my day. I have not been cumbered with the cares of this life and a mind that's afresh and hungry for the things of God and that that is found within his word. And uh, I mentioned to my wife last night that seemingly I was uh, sitting there at the table just trying to force his word into my mind. And I told her this morning when she got up, I said, I preached your sermon today from 3 to 4. I don't know what I have left, but we'll see how the Lord leads us. Um, 
I'm torn between two passages of Scripture at this moment, and I believe that I would like to begin in the third chapter of Philippians, the 53rd chapter of Isaiah, a very important part of my thoughts today. Paul here writing uh, to the churches at of the Philippians, telling them uh, this, these statements, and, and he is in prison at this time. I wonder how often when we read God's word and we consider where Paul's at, that we consider that many of his letters were written while he was in prison. And yet the joy that abounds from the things that he has to say, the focus of his attention is put on the resurrection. The resurrection of Christ Jesus. So often in this life, we are filled in a people that's warning of that that lifts us up for a moment. But that that truly brings us to a knowledge of God Almighty is that resurrection. Of the hope and promise of God through the raising of His Son Christ Jesus and His affliction that He bore upon the cross that we would know such great mercy. So all our thoughts, and I often wondered about this, they should all evolve around the resurrection of Christ. Paul in this third chapter, we're going to read several verses here. He says, finally, my brethren, rejoice in the Lord to write the same thing to you, to me, indeed is not grievous, but for you it is safe. Beware of dogs, beware of evil workers, beware of the concision." For we are the circumcision which worship God in the spirit and rejoice in Christ Jesus and have no confidence in the flesh. Though I might also have confidence in the flesh if any other man thinketh that he hath whereof he might trust in the flesh I more. Circumcised the eighth day of the stock of Israel of the tribe of Benjamin and a Hebrew of the Hebrews as touching the law of Pharisee, concerning zeal, persecuting the church, touching righteousness which is in the law, blameless. But what things were gained to me, those I count loss for Christ. Yea, doubtless, I count all things but loss for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things and do count them but dung that I may win Christ and be found in him not having mine own righteousness which is of the law but that which is through the faith of Christ the righteousness which is of God by faith that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being made conformable unto his death. If by any means I might attain unto the resurrection of the dead, not as though I had already attained, either were already perfect, but I follow after, if, I, if that I may apprehend that for which also I am apprehended of Christ Jesus. Paul giving us much to think about here. In the opening verses of this third chapter, but what I would really like to focus on for a moment is how willing Paul was to let all that he counted of value go. Every bit of it. 
You know, as I begin to study this, I begin to consider those that may take a voyage on a ship somewhere. You're going to gather up certain belongings to take with you, those things that you think are important. But you know, if that ship began to sink, what's the first thing they're going to want you to do? Start to throw those things overboard. I can remember watching films as a child and, and you would see the, the prop plane going across the plains there in Africa and they were low on fuel. And what did they do? They, they got rid of all the things that encumbered them. Are we willing to set aside the things that so easily beset us that we might run this race that God has called us into? Paul in that second verse tells us, beware of dogs, beware of evil workers, beware of the concision. Those that would disrupt this gospel that we've come to know. And the truth that's found in the gospel, the precious gift that abides through Christ Jesus in a knowledge of the resurrection. Paul mentioning here in that fourth verse how rich he was in the things of this life and this world. And he lays it out here very plain in the scripture for us how he followed every jot and tittle. And can you imagine what zeal Paul must have had under the law? When we, and he himself comparing his zeal in persecuting the church and being found in the law utterly blameless. But he makes it very plain in that seventh verse when he tells us, but what things were gained to me, those I counted lost for Christ. It was time to get rid of those things that so easily beset Paul. And why? He makes that very plain too. He says, I count all things but like loss for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord. I've had one reoccurring thought on my mind now for several weeks. I may have mentioned this to you here before in the past, but I had opportunity to go to my daughter's history class and bring World War II items. And I brought the World War II items into the classroom and I began to pass them around. My uncle was there in the Army Corps of Engineers in, in Europe and he came back with much memorabilia. And as I passed those items around in that classroom, I watched the look on the children's faces. And I became real curious. I asked them, does this seem real to you? And they considered it. And their honesty was overwhelming. Because a child in the back of the class, she raised her hand. I called on her and she said no, because we were not there. I fear for the church because I know from my own standpoint that I was not there physically to observe our Savior upon the tree of the cross. But does it seem real to me? It's the greatest reality I have ever known in my life. It is the greatest reality that you will ever know in your life. Paul is telling us that I understood the law and understood that I would never be able to stand before a just and holy God under these principles. 
Were they good? Is the law important? Absolutely. The law is just as important today to us as it ever was. If we are to understand the gospel at all, we must understand the importance of the law. If we do not understand this importance, the reality of Christ is going to seem a far distant thing to us. This gospel is not going to carry the weight that it should in our lives. It's not going to allow us to look at this and say, Yea, doubtless, and I count all things but loss for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ. Our zeal, where is it today? I made a statement when I passed by Hamrick's down uh, coming into the meeting house today and I, I said to my wife, I said, I wonder if they're open on Sundays. You know, I could use another shirt. I could use another suit. You know, I should start saying the things that I think about a little more other than that because immediately as that thought left my lips, I thought what I need is a better understanding of Christ of his glory as it's revealed through the Lord Jesus. That I need to understand that it's not the suit, it's not the clothes, it is this gift of God's grace that has been embedded and planted in our hearts. As Paul says, that I might win Christ. It's not talking about winning a prize. It means to gain. To gain. To have a true richness of the knowledge of Christ within our lives that we might actually gain something in this life. In Ephesians, it mentions redeeming the time. How often do we have the habit of saying, that's water under the bridge, that's time lost, that's time you can't get back? Well, in Ephesians, when it mentions this redeeming of the time, It tells us, and I'm going to read several verses here, for we were sometimes darkness, but now are ye light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. For the fruit of the Spirit is in all goodness and righteousness and truth, proving what is acceptable unto the Lord. What's he speaking of here? He's speaking of exercising this faith. This is not a faith that should and is so often void of works. Paul's saying exercise. Put this to use. This fruit of the Spirit is in all goodness and righteousness and truth. Proving. That doesn't mean I'm going to put this to the test and prove it and see if it's good to use. I bought a new set of tires that I, I picked up in Greensboro and I proved them all the way home. I used them. I used them as they were intended to be used. Christ mentions this proving of the faith, I believe it's in the 8th chapter of Deuteronomy, of the things that, that he did for the children, proving unto them within their hearts that they understand that we should count all things for loss. God shows us this daily in our lives. He goes on to tell you, proving what is acceptable unto the Lord and having no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather reprove them. And, and this 12th verse is something that always stops me when I read it for it says, For it is a shame even to speak of those things which are done in secret. We need to be speaking of the goodness and mercy of God. So often we get caught and wrapped up in the things of this life, and what do we find ourselves doing? We, we immediately find ourselves saying, you know, have you heard about such and such and, and so and so and these things that are done in secret? Friends, Paul said he counted all this for loss. So it's, on top of that, a waste of your time to spend time dwelling on those things. But he said, 
But all things that are reproved are made manifest by the light, for whatsoever doth make manifest is light. Wherefore he saith, Awake thou that sleepest, and arise from the dead, and Christ shall give thee light. See that you walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise, redeeming the time, because the days are evil. That we might gain Christ. We look further at, at what Paul sets forth here to us in Philippians. And we see in the ninth verse, And be found in him not having mine own righteousness, which is of the law, but that which is through the faith of Christ, the righteousness which is of God by faith. Paul's getting ready to draw us into an understanding of our righteousness. He's setting these things to light, telling us where our focus should be. And notice what Paul says here in that 10th verse, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection. You know, Paul's not saying that we should just have a thought and that we speak and say that we understand that Christ was crucified over 2,000 years ago on the tree of the cross, but but Paul says we need to know it as if we were there. When somebody asks us, do you understand this as if you were there? Our answer needs to be yes. We need to strive to better understand that. When Paul says the power of his resurrection, he's not just saying I need to have a mere thought. Paul's not saying as the body of Christ he's speaking of here, as his church. Friends, we're gathered here today through that power. We are gathered here today through the resurrection of our Lord and Savior, Christ Jesus, and through him alone. And as I study this scripture, I think and ask myself, do I understand the full extent of that statement? Not as I should, but I should strive to by counting all things but loss, that I might gain a better knowledge of the richness and wisdom of our Lord and Savior Christ Jesus. I asked my wife another question this morning, as there is a verse of scripture we're going to look at in a moment that has puzzled me all my life. And I grabbed every book that I could read. I, I woke up in prayer again this morning over that verse of scripture, begging God to open that verse of scripture to me that I might understand it. And in my begging, he began to bless me with, I hope, a sense of an understanding of that verse of Scripture. But it drew me to this verse of Scripture, this 10th this verse here. Paul's one that would immediately raise his hand and say, yes, it's real to me. Because I was there, I am there every day of my life because it is the power of his resurrection that drives me forward to what? The temporal things of this life? Not at all. To those things that are eternal. The richness of his grace that we all seek, as Paul said, to apprehend. Do we just mark this page off as if we've read it and we've got it down? Or do we look at this 10th verse and realize how far short we fall in understanding the power of the resurrection of Christ? And most importantly, as Paul says, and the fellowship of his sufferings. Do we have fellowship with Christ in his sufferings? 
That was my question to my wife today. Does the church suffer? I do not know afflictions like I should. I have been spared afflictions. You have been spared afflictions. You have been spared suffering. But what is Paul getting at here? It it almost sounds like he's got it made. I've cast all the things that matter to me away. But Paul's telling us much more than that. Paul's saying there is yet something I lack. If I am to conform this sin-cursed body, is it just a matter of saying, yes, I believe Christ died upon the tree of the cross? Or does that power bring me to my knees as it should every day? Does it that to you to draw after God and nigh after Him? Do you seek to know the fellowship of His sufferings? Why would Paul make such a statement? I don't know about you, but it it seems to me that when I hear the gospel preached, it should be an end to suffering. Well, it is in one sense. But Christ told us that we shall have what in this life? Tribulation. We shall have it. There is suffering that will come to us. Do we know this suffering in the fellowship of Christ or do we know it as woe is me? You know, I hear lately this week, I've asked time and time again of people, how are you doing? And you know what they want to tell me? Well, I'd I'd complain, but it won't do any good because nobody wants to hear it. And as I read this verse of Scripture, Paul says, I rejoice to know Christ and the power of his resurrection. I seek after the fellowship of his suffering. Why? Paul makes it very plain. Being made conformable unto his death. Being made conformable. We as the body of Christ are in a state of construction being made conformable unto his death. But I'm afraid because we have been so blessed that we fail to see the importance of the fellowship of his suffering. We read that 53rd chapter of Isaiah. What's taking place there? It's the greatest portrait of our Savior Christ that the church will ever have in this life. Yes, he has removed our sins from us as far as the east is from the west, but are you still in a sin-cursed body? Absolutely. I enjoy the things that uplift me, but as I look at this verse of Scripture, it's a verse of Scripture that brings me unto conviction that I might be made conformable unto his death. Paul is speaking of a driving force leading him more and more present to the Lord. Are we conforming today or are we being conformed? 
We live in a world today that I think by what's taking place around us, circumstances of economy and different things that are going on in this world, they are conforming us to the world. Paul's saying, focus. Our fellowship is with Christ. Our fellowship is with an understanding of his sufferings being made conformable unto his death. And notice Paul in the 11th verse, he says, if by any means I might attain unto the resurrection. Paul's not saying of my own means. Paul is letting us know here of the means of an understanding of the resurrection and not him going about to establish his own righteousness. But he's saying, my ship on my own sinks and I have to discard everything that I might be conformed unto Christ. Does that mean that my family's worried today that dad's going to go sell everything we got? No, that doesn't mean that at all. But it means that as we walk in this world today, do we show as ourselves the people that have been afflicted? I don't see it. In the 119th Psalm, we have the importance of affliction set before us. Christ. And the I'd like to begin in the 65th verse of the 119th Psalm. Thou hast dealt well with thy servant, O Lord, according unto thy word. Teach me good judgment and knowledge, for I have believed thy commandments. Before I was afflicted, I went astray. Notice what he says here, the psalmist. Before I was afflicted, I went astray. Before he knew being conformed unto God before he knew the sufferings of the fellowship of God, before he was made aware of the sin that dwells in all our bodies. Before I was afflicted, I went astray, but now have I kept thy word. Thou art good, thou doest good. Teach me thy statutes, for the proud have forged a lie against me but I will keep thy precepts with my whole heart. Their heart is as fat as grease, but I delight in thy law. It is good for me that I have been afflicted, that I might learn thy statutes. Would we understand the power of the resurrection had we not been afflicted? Is it being afflicted by Christ in an understanding within our quickened hearts that without him we were sometimes darkness? Do we understand the depth and depravity of our sin to understand, as the psalmist tells us, it is good for me that I have been afflicted? Paul has something to say more as well uh, of, of our afflictions, and it's found in Romans and so often when I hear folks mention Romans 8 in the sense that we so often hear it set forth before us in everything in the world, we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to his purpose. You know, I, I, I tell them that I want to take a detour on that. Let's go over to Romans 5 because I think this more suits an understanding of the workings of those that have been afflicted and an understanding of having fellowship with those afflictions 
and rejoicing in those. Paul begins his fifth chapter by telling us, as children of God, therefore being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom also we have access by faith into this grace, wherein we stand and rejoice in hope of the glory of God. But not only so, but we glory in tribulation. Now, Paul's just told us he's glorying in the afflictions of God. Now, why would a man say that? Because he's understood the power of the resurrection. He's understood the effect upon his life that, that he counted everything else but loss, that he might gain a better understanding of this. Does Paul say we rush headlong into tribulation? Not at all. But why should we glory in tribulation? Because we had not known knowledge unless we were afflicted. That we were humbled. That we were been made aware of the sufferings of our Savior in the aspect of without Him. We were lost in a way. And in a way with no hope. He says we glory in tribulation. He says tribulation worketh patience. And patience experience and experience what? Hope. Now, I have sat many times under men that will say this statement that be careful about praying for patience. You just might get it. Well, friends, that is not biblical patience. That is not scriptural patience. Patience means being steadfast. Patience means enduring. And patience means consistent. So what Paul is saying here, that through the power of the resurrection and knowing the fellowship and the sufferings of Christ, tribulations are going to come. And when they come, they work with patience, a steadfast, enduring confidence in the resurrection of Christ Jesus. And this experience that we get from this does what to us? It begins to conform us that we understand more fully the power of the resurrection and the fellowship of the suffering of Christ that we may be made conformable unto his death and patience experience. You know, I, like I said, I had grown up under the understanding that patience is this. Just set back, David, and this too soon shall pass. I don't know about you, but this is the place I long to be in fellowship with my Savior, being made conformable unto his death, understanding this patience that's spoken of here within God's word, patience and experience. Paul writes the church at Colossians. Where is he once again? He is in prison. And guess what? As far as I know in the history here, Paul never saw those people physically. But it is through tribulation and being afflicted and patience and experience that he writes the letter that he does to the church at Philippi as well. And he tells us, And hope maketh not a shame, because the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Ghost, which is given unto us. For when we were yet without strength in due time, Christ died for the ungodly. 
He's saying the ever-present power of the resurrection should just be manifest in your life beyond measure. The church today, here in America, we are not afflicted like they are around the globe. I read an article this week of a woman that has been brought up on blasphemy charges in a Muslim community where there are only three families there that are Christian. And I guess what I was most impressed by in that article that I read was the account of her daughter telling the press what took place with this woman. She was in the fields. They were working there. It was hot. They needed water. So she went to get the water. She brings the water back and a woman there says, I don't want any of it because it's been touched by a Christian. Words ensued. She went home. Later, the town came and drug her out of her house. Her daughter watched in horror as they drug her mother away. They said to her, renounce your Christianity. Renounce Christ and we'll let you go. She said, no. I won't do it. In tribulations, she found patience. And in that patience, she remembered her experience that she counted all her life as loss, that she might gain the excellency and knowledge of Christ. The two other families that lived in that community have since moved out. They're the only family that's left. As I read on, in some sense of the word, the media tried to uh, ease the burden of the minds that may be reading the article by telling them that they know of. No one has been put to death yet in cases such as these. But you see, we don't know that. What we do know is that here we see the power of the resurrection declared before us. That comes home to us because it happens today, right now, in our very own time frame. But Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. So we look at Paul here. We know what happened to Paul. We know what happened to Peter. These men gave their life. for the church, for Christ. Being made conformable unto his death. What, that it was just a, a sense of being a martyr? No, no. It was much more than that. It was an acknowledgement that we do not follow cunningly devised fables. That this gift of God's righteousness, of being made conformable unto his death, the understanding of his sufferings and the fellowship with that, 
In 2 Corinthians, we read in the third verse of the first chapter, Blessed be God, even the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort, who comforted us in our tribulation, that we may be able to comfort them which are in any trouble by the comfort wherein by the comfort wherewith we ourselves are comforted of God. For as the sufferings of Christ abound in us, so our consolation also aboundeth by Christ. And notice what he says in the sixth verse here, and whether we be afflicted, it is for your consolation and salvation, which is effectual in the enduring of the same suffering which we also suffer, or whether we be comforted, it is for your consolation and salvation. And our hope for you is steadfast knowing that as ye are partakers of the sufferings, so shall ye be also of the consolation. Once again, he writing the churches here at Corinth, mentioning this suffering, mentioning being conformed, and it's our consolation. How can suffering be a consolation? Well, friends, if what we're speaking of today holds no place in your heart, then what I'm speaking of here today, as Paul puts it in uh, his opening statement to the church there at Corinth in the first letter he writes to them, for the preaching of the cross is to them what? Now, my mind's racing ahead of me, so I'm going to have to turn and gather that verse, make sure I don't put a word in the wrong place. For the preaching of the cross is to them that perish foolishness, but unto us which are saved it is what? The power of God. So if suffering is something that you haven't experienced, if affliction is something you haven't experienced, well, this preaching is foolishness. But if it's not foolishness to you, it is the power of God to you, it is an understanding of you being conformed and having fellowship with his sufferings. It is when you read Isaiah 53, you feel the pain you feel humiliation. You know, when Isaiah 53, uh, a verse of scripture there that, that's mentioned in the third verse, he is despised and rejected of man, a man of sorrows, acquainted with grief. And we hid, as it were, our faces from him. He was despised and we esteemed him not. That's saying we didn't even have pity on him. That's saying we placed no value on the Savior. Had he not afflicted us, I would read that verse as I would read any sentence in any book. It means we counted him as no man. It means that we did not at that time understand the power of the resurrection. 
Surely he hath borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we did esteem him stricken and smitten of God and afflicted. That's saying that as he hung on the tree of the cross there, those that came by and wagged their tongues at him said, you're getting what's due you. For the blasphemy that you had to say of comparing yourself to God the Father. In Colossians, the verse of scripture that has brought so to light the suffering of our Savior and we as a church seeking to have fellowship in that that we may better understand the power of the resurrection. I'm going to read several verses here from the, from the first chapter. 14th verse we read, In whom we have redemption through his blood, even the forgiveness of sin who is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of every creature. For by him were all things created that are in heaven and that are in earth, visible and invisible. Whether they be thrones or dominions or principalities or powers, all things were created by him and for him. And he is before all things, and by him all things consist, and he is the head of the body, the church which is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things he might have preeminence. For it pleased the Father that in him should all fullness dwell. And having made peace through the blood of his cross, by him to reconcile all things unto himself, by him I say whether they be things on earth or things in heaven, and you that were sometimes alienated, enemies, In your mind by wicked works, yet now hath he reconciled in the body of his flesh through death to present you holy and unblameable, unreprovable in his sight. If ye continue in the faith grounded and settled and be not moved away from the hope of the gospel, which ye have heard and which was preached to every creature, which is under heaven, wherefore I, Paul, am made a minister. And this is the verse, the 24th verse, who now rejoice in my sufferings for you and fill up that which is behind of the afflictions of Christ in my flesh for his body's sake, which is the church. Wherefore, I am made a minister according to the dispensation of God, which is given unto me for you to fulfill the word of God, even the mystery which hath been hid from ages and from generation, but now is made manifest to his saints. Paul, in that 24th verse, is telling us once again, he rejoices in being made conformable under the death of his Savior. He rejoices in understanding that he counts everything but dung that has ever come before, that he might know and win Christ, that he might know the power of his resurrection being conformed and understanding these sufferings. He rejoices in my sufferings for you and fill up that which is behind of the afflictions of Christ. 
Paul, in this state, in prison, being thankful for the afflictions that have come upon him that he might better serve the church. What's taking place here with the Colossians is those things Paul warns about many times throughout the scriptures. Men coming in and preaching a corrupt doctrine. How important is this? To Paul it was everything. What do these sufferings tell us? These sufferings point to us of men that fled from the cross. When they saw their Savior taken from their midst. And then as we read through the scriptures, they give their life. Because of the power of this resurrection. Because of the knowledge of the Savior of our souls, Christ Jesus. Being made conformable to the fellowship of his sufferings. Being thankful that they had been afflicted. That they might know and understand better this gift that we have been given in Christ. And in Christ alone. So we as the church today. Where do you stand on the side of suffering? It's been quite an eye-opener to me to consider that. Is the church afflicted today? Yes. Do we understand the capacity of how we have been afflicted? I don't think so. Now, maybe there are some of you here today that understand this affliction better than I, but I see that I have fallen far short of an understanding of this affliction. I don't know that I'm ready to suffer. Are you? I've been in pain before, but it's, it's not pleasant. I have uh, migraine headaches and have gotten them all my life. And I took a treatment when I was young. I ask people now if they give it anymore and they say that they don't, that they've never heard of it. It's biofeedback. It's just a matter of relaxation. It's a form of meditation. I would be uh, pretty safe to say that it is pretty much a form of meditation that allows you uh, unfortunately, to push your mind from everything. Thought, even in itself. And I apply and have applied it in several different uh, phases of things that have come to me in my life. And it works unbelievably well. But you know, if you push things far enough from your mind, you forget you have a problem. And you are able to cope with things that seemingly are not a problem anymore. And it's not long till we become complacent. It's not long till we deal with the pain long enough and we think, this is good. I've licked it. I can handle it. Friends, we all suffer as sinners.
these afflictions that we are afflicted by and with that should draw us nigh to being conformed unto Christ, call us unto him. Do we do with the deeds of this flesh that we struggle with? God's word tells us in the 11th verse of the 8th chapter of Romans, but if the spirit of him that raised up Jesus from the dead dwell in you, he that raised up Christ from the dead shall also quicken your mortal bodies by his spirit that dwelleth in you. He's saying right here to us, don't push this from your mind and think that you've got it licked and figured out. He's saying that same spirit of God that raised Christ from the dead is the same one that quickens your mortal bodies, that gives you life, that allows you to understand it was good that I was afflicted, that allows you to understand that you seek after God and the power of his resurrection, to have fellowship with his sufferings. Why? Why would we want this fellowship? Therefore, brethren, we are debtors not to the flesh to live after the flesh. For if ye, live at, if ye live after the flesh, ye shall die. But if ye through the Spirit do mortify the deeds of the body, ye shall live. Paul speaking of those sufferings again here. Having fellowship with them to mortify the deeds of his body, that he shall live. For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. For ye have not received the spirit of bondage again to fear, but ye have received the spirit of adoption, whereby we cry, Abba, Father. It is in the afflictions, it is in the sufferings, it is in the quickened spirit through the power of the resurrection that we should have an understanding that we were there with Christ and in him. And in him alone do we know the power of the resurrection. And Paul says, and I, and I guess if, if I have a favorite verse of scripture, it, it's in Philippians there and it is a verse of scripture where he mentions to us that I might attain unto the resurrection of the dead, not as though I had already attained, either were already perfect, but I follow after it that I may apprehend that for which also I am apprehended of Christ Jesus. Paul's letting us know that we are not to be idle, that we are to be moving forward in our knowledge of Christ. Paul's saying, and with someone as much knowledge as he had, you would think that Apostle Paul was there, wouldn't you? I would have to think so. He's my mentor. He's my hero. He's one that I look to and I relate to. Because he set a very high mark for each and every one of us. But he's so humble to let us know, not as though I had already attained, either were already perfect. But he tells us, but I follow after, if that I may apprehend that of which I am apprehended of Christ Jesus. It is in that apprehension that we come to know 
the resurrection. It is in that apprehension that we have been afflicted. Is it in that apprehension that we know sufferings? I hope so. I thank you once again for this opportunity to come this way and be with you here in Roanoke. I hope the things that we have set before you this day will be of some benefit. And may the afflictions of this life place you in a mindset of our rich and loving Savior, of his grace, of his mercy, and the comfort that we find in these tribulations through patience, experience, and hope. May God's mercy be with you, and he shed his grace abundantly upon you in this upcoming week is our prayer. Thank you.